Uh, if you like, it's the rock star of this generation. I don't know if I had that many preconceptions. I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what's this going to be like? Hey, or, or you publish the dates and they say, why aren't you playing here? And it's there in the dates. Yeah. G'day, I'm Jason Sawford, keyboard player from the Australian Pink Floyd Show. I'm David Dominey Fowler from the Australian Pink Floyd Show. My name's Sean Riley and I make videos for a living. Ah. Hello, Sean. Hello. Nice to have you uh, with us. Thank you. Why are you with us on the road at the moment? Well, uh, the easiest way to explain that is to, to explain that I met you guys about two years ago when I came on the road for the tour in 2016 and did some video for you there on the DVD, the live DVD. And um, now you're 30 years old, which is incredible. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I'm uh, instead of filming the gigs this time, I'm filming the bits in between the gigs. 30 years old. Well, we discussed a bit of that in the last podcast, but... Um... Yes, yes, 30 years old, yes. It's uh, getting old now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a celebration. So we met first on doing something on the Computer File channel, which you run, which some of our fans probably haven't heard of. Um, tell us a bit about that. I used to work at the BBC... In news, and when I was there, I worked alongside a journalist called Brady Harron, who left the BBC to run some YouTube channels to make science videos. Um, he started, well, he started with various ones, but the most famous are Periodic Table of Videos, where he makes chemistry videos, Number File, where he makes mathematics videos, 60 Symbols, where he makes physics videos, and there was a clamouring for a computing subject to be covered in these videos. And Brady had run out of time and, uh, you know, basically didn't have the resources to do it himself. So uh, he turned to me and said, could you make some uh, computer science videos? And lo and behold, five, six years later, it's now my full-time job, except when I'm doing things like being on tour with the Australian Pink Floyd show. <laughs> So me and Jason have watched quite a lot of uh, Brady's videos. And Brady, of course, is from Adelaide. Yes, that's where I'm from too. So a bit of a coincidence there. It's good <laughs> to hear. A coincidence. He's a similar kind of age as well. I would yeah, he's, he's probably slightly, he's probably uh, close to your age, Dave. Um, okay. He's a couple of years younger than me anyway. And he does a podcast with CGP Grey uh, called Hello Internet, which is hugely successful and popular. And they have various kind of, common themes and they talk about something called the mighty black stump does that mean anything to you jason the mighty black stump in adelaide in adelaide um <laughs> it you may, know, you know, it i'm may, stumped <laughs> it may it may be after your time as it were yeah i don't know if you've got a bit more information i mean is there some, there's some a, historical it's a, it's a building it's a skyscraper it's black it's in the center of adelaide and it's quite quite renowned uh, I do recall a black skyscraper, but not of that name. So uh, I wonder if yes. they've coined this term. They may have, may have coined it since uh, since I was there. You know, I mean, at some point it would be lovely to uh, to invite Brady to a gig, a fellow sort of a fellow Adelaidean, yes, a fellow Adelaidean, yes, who uh, who has come to England to to make his alternative fame. Yes, well, there's something in common, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be good. To, well, so that's that's. Um, that's one of the topics I've got here of things to talk about because it's a kind of similar alternative success. So, for example, your career is being a YouTuber. Um, and I know there's so many different types of YouTubers. You've got people who 
shout nonsense and do their makeup at a camera. And then you've got people like you that make serious educational videos. Um, and that's, that's an alternative way of making a living. And I suppose for us being musicians and doing a tribute band, it's a similar thing. So give me a brief rundown of a, a, a week or a day in the life of a, of a YouTuber. Well, it's quite interesting when you make uh, science videos, unless you are a scientist, it's going to sound a bit silly, really. But um, as as a YouTuber, I feel a bit silly calling myself a YouTuber, even though that's technically what I am, because I don't really spend much time in front of the camera. I've always said I prefer the blunt end of the camera rather than the sharp end. Um, and I interview or talk to and have conversations with people who are experts in their field, in computer science, in computing in general, or history of computing, and make videos. So the, the, the week goes much like this. It's probably 10% filming and 90% editing. So it can be rather... I don't want to say it's rather dull because I enjoy what I do and it's it's great, but I do spend a lot of time sitting in front of a computer editing. Um, so I'll go out perhaps for half a day and shoot a couple of videos with someone and then I'll come back, I'll review that footage, I'll probably start editing before I finish reviewing it because you can't you just can't help yourself you start seeing something you go oh, that needs to come out just because it's an um or an r or something like that or a mistake with a camera so rather than just watch it all through and then go back and edit it I just start straight away editing uh, and benefit of that is obviously I shot it so I know where it's going I'm not looking at somebody else's footage so editing for me includes making animations it includes doing an audio mix and um, although if you're in the film industry, you might use different applications, diff or indeed different teams of people to do all these various areas. Of course, when you're a YouTuber, you tend to do it all yourself. So you're the camera operator, you're the sound operator, you're the editor, you're the audio mixer, you're the graphics person. <laughs> you do it all. But it gives you an incredible amount of wonderful control over the process. So I've made videos for all sorts of uh, different things from corporate videos about lawnmowers through to science videos about Stephen Hawking. Um, and then uh, documentaries about tribute bands. And documentaries about <laughs> wonderful bands, yeah. Uh, and also I did um, for a while make some videos on a channel I started called The Racket, uh, which I was purely doing for fun. And sadly, I kind of ran out of time for those. But some of those we've featured you guys on, and as you know. Um, so if people want to see more behind the scenes, they could search that stuff out and they'll see... Lots of uh, Aussie Floyd goodness. They're, they're, they're good videos. It's, it's well, Okay, so this brings along to the next bit, because Computerfile now has over a million subscribers, which is amazing. But um, And the racket clearly doesn't. So what makes one work and one not? Is there a luck aspect to it, the same as being in a band and making it famous, or is there a, a more tangible reason? Well, it's... Uh it's kind of a little bit speculation. It's speculative for me to say this, but my my theory is that it's just become that much harder to cut through the noise. YouTube is massive now. People use it instead of TV. Uh, children are there are a lot of children who don't watch TV. They just go on a tablet or on a computer and watch YouTube. And as a result, it's become the choice of. Uh, if you like, it's the rock star of this generation. So whereas when I grew up, I wanted to pick up a pair of drumsticks and join my heroes on stage and be a, be a drummer, then what's happening these days are people 
are wanting to be YouTubers. So for instance, my wife's a teacher. She has children who sometimes just turn around and say, I don't really need to do any of this work because I'm just going to make videos. I'm going to be a YouTuber. And it's not a huge amount different to thinking about those people that we all went to school with who went, I don't have to bother with this. I'm going to make it big. I'm going to be a brilliant, you know, this, that or the other footballer. Yeah, I was one of them. Yeah. Not a footballer, but musician. <laughs> well, a footballer, musician, sort of gave rise to these people who are on TV because they're in these um, kind of shows like Big Brother, right? Where they're not... Reality stars. Ah. Reality stars, yeah. So reality stars are people who want to be stars for the sake of being a star, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I think what's happened is that was sort of our, well, my generation's kids growing up wanting just to be famous for some reason, or the kids after mm. I was a kid as well. And it's just gone on to become YouTubers because you can just pick up a camera or a phone with a camera on it, a webcam, you can start talking to it. And if people want to hear what you, what you have to say, you can make videos and, and start to gain a following. But so many people are doing it. That's right. That's why, it's, why it's, 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 that contributes to all the noise. There's so much of it now, isn't it? Because anyone can do it. They can sit in front of a microphone and make their own videos. Here we are. I mean, it's very democratic. It's quite empowering in, in the idea of it. But then everyone does it and it's... Uh, yeah, it's how, how do you find good stuff? Yes. Yeah. Right? And so the, the absolutely superb stuff will always make it through because someone will say, this is great and tell a friend about it. Yeah. However there'll be some really good stuff out there that just doesn't do, doesn't show or that whoever's making it doesn't persist and gives up because they didn't get anything from it. And uh, so this, coming back to what your original question about the racket versus Computerfile, Computerfile was in early. It had an established fan base because of Brady, who I worked with on it, um, who, who were so expectant of great videos coming out no pressure. Um, there, there were 50-odd thousand subscribers before we'd even made a video. So these people were wanting more of the same. And I think that's what it kind of comes around to. If you're looking for more of the same, that's why a lot of channels these days have part twos, Vsauce, Vsauce 2, etc. Yeah. Uh, because these people realise that people want more. So there is a kind of analogy as well, because one thing I've noticed more on YouTube recently is almost like tribute channels. And I'm, I'm saying that loosely, but where a channel will either try and copy the style of another channel to get big, or it will do a, a spoof of it somehow, or it will literally just nick the same content or almost the same script and change a few words and doing that. And I, I know sort of saying that playing in a tribute band sounds like that. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's different because the whole point of YouTube is it's all original content all the time. You really don't want to have two videos that are just identical. There's no point in that. I think, um, well, well, we've had it. We've had it where people take our video, they change the graphics or change the contact details at the end and re-upload it um, with the hope, I suppose, that somebody might think that they've created this video and that they might start, you know, following them. And this happens on Computerfile. It happens on um, all of Brady's channels. Uh, he, in fact, coined a phrase for that, and it's uh, freebooting, which is from an old pirate term, piracy term, which was about, you know, taking booty that wasn't yours from yeah. other people and, and using it and having it and hiding your treasure wherever you wanted to. Um, but the... <sighs> I think there is a massive difference between doing covers of music like a cover band or a tribute band do and copying literally, oh, I suppose, what am I trying to well, say? No, if, if we were doing an original band and we were blatantly just ripping off 
Pink Floyd and, and taking a couple of words of the lyrics there and a certain sound and making it sound identical to Pink Floyd, then that would kind of be a rip-off, whereas we're not. Mm. We're going out performing and being yeah, and blatant. Yeah, saying, saying what it is, you know, rather than trying to pass it off as your own stuff. Is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're, we're playing Pink Floyd music, but we're not pretending. We're not, it is Pink Floyd music, and we admit it. You know, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not pretending we're, to be Pink Floyd. Open and honest about yeah, what yeah. we're doing, you know. Yeah, but there, there are people who... I don't know. I, I say the tribute thing on YouTube. I've seen people who've who've done something in the style of someone else quite openly saying, I love this channel, so I want to do something that's a bit like them as a almost also as a joke, as a parody or I, th- I think there are satire channels out there which are fantastic and they often choose a target and decide, right, I'm gonna make a spoof of that. And that I think is okay. If you're plagiarizing, that's different. But also in the middle ground somewhere are those people who just like something so much they want to do the same thing. And I don't think a lot of those people are necessarily doing it out of spite or to try and They just don't see what they're doing. They don't mm. see it as being, you know, and bands have done this. I mean, you know, I don't want to mention any names, but I'm going to. But, you know, Oasis had a feel of certain 60s bands. There is no mm. getting away from that. And that is flattering in some sense but they'd left it i suppose enough time to for it to be valid on its own yeah but to I mean, some people to, to try and put it into sort of today's context you're right that was the 90s and you know they were perhaps 30 years past when the or 20 to 30 years past the bands perhaps that they were they were picking up um but this day and age people expect things so quickly that they don't really consider the fact that perhaps they should leave it a little while you know too soon is is mm. is quite often the case I spoke to a guy who is a producer of um, Fierce Panda in London, Fierce Panda, the label. And uh, he used to be a journalist on The Enemy, which, you know, sadly is sort of on its decline. And his point was it used to be Band of the Week on Enemy. And by the time that he was doing online stuff, it was almost Band of the Hour, you know. Who's big right now? Right, okay, oh, an hour's passed. Who's big now? You know, people think... People have moved to wanting things faster and faster, and perhaps that's having an adverse effect. This is, we've said earlier, the second time you've been on the road with us. Um, what's your impressions of being on the road with us? Was it what you expected, being on, on a tour bus? And... It's, it's, a, it's a really good question, because as I mentioned earlier, it was my dream to be doing this. And... Um, yeah, it, it's different and it's the same. It's it, Living on a bus isn't quite what I expected. I don't know, I thought there might be kind of guitars and people strumming guitars and all sorts. You know, you have these kind of, it's probably a romantic notion, right? But it's easy to forget that what you're doing is a job. <laughs> and much as you still love music, it doesn't mean you necessarily want to just carry on making music the moment you step off stage. Although I've noticed some people do. Uh, there are some keyboards around and, and guitars around from in certain people are, are doing that. Having said that, um, I, yeah, I don't know if I had that many preconceptions. I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what's this going to be like? And stepping off in the interval and having a cup of tea rather than a, a beer was, was <laughs> it sort of makes sense, but it, it, you know, you have a cup of tea, don't you, when you're done? Oh, I have a cup of tea. I mean, I, I you know, when I, we have our, Mid, mid-show interval and I'll, I will have a cup of tea. And I just find, you know, because I have to concentrate so much with what I'm playing, I, I, I can't be drinking and playing and it's a long time to stay on stage. And, of course, if you drink too much beer, of course, you need to go to the loo all the time. But, um, but yeah, I, I find it's just enough to 
give me that little pick up and then I continue on with the with the gig. It's uh, I quite enjoy that little <laughs> moment. <laughs> I like a cup of tea at half time. I, I usually take one on stage with me for the second half. Um and there have been various people that have moaned at me for leaving a teacup on stage at the end of the gig. I'm sort of like, I'm not going to go and do the line-up, wave at the crowd at the end of the gig and take my empty tea mug with me. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's not being rock and roll and then there's, there's uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, then there are things that are exactly as you'd hope for. You know, your catering is fantastic. The food is wonderful. Um, having a jar of Haribo's on the end of the table, you know, just uh, these sorts of things, are, you know, as a kid, what you would sort of dream mm. of as part of the dream job. And, you know, these things do happen. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think it was, it wasn't, it wasn't what I expected in different measure, equal measure. How does that ring with you, Jason? Because obviously he's pointing out things there that, that he seems as the positive sides and I'm um well I mean I've been doing it for years I mean it's been going through various phases of of well, I mean this band is always it, it's not been like a you know you hear stories about rock and rollers and they're taking drugs and they're getting drunk and they all this craziness we've been a bit more subdued I think as a band I think which probably maybe because it's what we do you know you 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 can't make up the music as you play you have to be very disciplined um, and uh, you know, some of us are getting on a bit anyway. So, so you, you know, you you have to be fairly um, disciplined, and and you know, I think some of us are a bit quieter, geekier people anyway. We're not really that. It's, it's interesting you say that about not making it up as you go on, because that is a difference. You're mm. being accurate and true, and yeah. the attention to detail is absolutely stunning. That was apparent to me. I have to confess that before being on tour with you guys two years ago, I had not seen the band. Mm. I saw Pink Floyd in 1994 on the uh, Pulse tour. And I remember a friend of mine going to see you guys in the early 2000s to mid-2000s. Uh, is that how you say 2000s? I don't noughties. Know. In the, the noughties. noughties. In the noughties. And I said, well, I don't need to go and see them. I, I saw the real Pink Floyd 10 years ago. And um, and then when I went to see you, I, I saw you on, on tour and I thought, gosh, why did I not go earlier? No, fantastic. And then just bringing it round to what you were saying... I think some of the original bands can make it up as they go. They might not get the best feedback if they do make it up as they go, but they, mm, I suppose, mm. can do that, and that is a difference. Yeah, yeah, we don't have that sort of liberty, you know, in, in this uh, in this job. I think in original bands, that's something that's changed because I think back in the day when when Floyd were about in the um, doing their early work, they could go and just make it up. They were trying out new material on stage mm. and giving it a go. And as technology's got better and people are bootlegging things and uh, using camera phones, for example, bands are willing to do that less and less. So they would rather have something polished and go out and give a performance that they're going to be proud of because they're worried that anything's going to come back and haunt them at some point, um, which I think's a bit sad. Yeah, I find that's a bit of a downside because, you know, you, we, every time, every night we, we try to give this you know, uh, best performance we can, but the people there filming you and you're thinking, oh, if I make a mistake, it's out there. (laughs) (laughs) But but imagine if it's that and you're the original artist and you're you're having sections of the show where you'd like to just improvise. Well, well. yeah, yeah. You've got to... I mean, I I love Hendrix as a guitarist, but not everything he did live, even not everything he did in the studio was perfect or or mistake-free, but... The moments of brilliance between mm. little mistakes here or there are enough for me to carry on. But people are so paranoid now of walking yeah, on stage, making yeah. a mistake, and having that twenty seconds taken in isolation and spread round as a viral yeah. video. And mm. and uh, it's not a 
it's not a, is, it, is the right expression a, a fertile ground for creativity yeah, yeah anymore I'd agree with that yeah um youtube helps us uh people filming in the crowd and putting stuff on youtube and on social media i think it helps us as a tribute band in a way that it i don't know if it helps the same way with a with a band that are doing their own material because of that reason i mean it, it prevents original bands doing certain things mm. so i don't know whether we've got a I've got a skewed point of view that I don't mind it as much. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, there are good things and bad things about it. And, um, um, I mean, certainly for getting your message out there, I mean, it's, it's an excellent tool to to show people what you could do. And uh, I think we get a lot of people who can see what we do and, and say, "Oh, that was a great video. I'll go and see them." So it, it is a it is an excellent way of uh, you know get it, getting your product out there. On to a similar thing we were discussing earlier about the fact that it's an alternative success. Um, I'd imagine there's there has to be a huge amount of self-discipline in the same way that there is if you want to be a musician. You can't just kind of sit around and wait for the break to come to you and there's a lot of practice to learn your instrument. I, I'd imagine the same is true of a YouTuber. Yeah, well... I, I don't know. It depends. If you've got engaging content, actually, do you need the skills to be able to operate a camera and all the rest of it? In this day and age, it, possibly not. I can imagine some of these makeup channels and things where they just put a camera. I mean, I'm not singling any out because I know I know some people who do makeup channels and that use SLR cameras, you know, very high quality stuff and spend a lot of time getting the shots right and making sure it looks fantastic. Equally, uh, Current smartphones, the cameras are superb, the microphones are superb. I've shot some videos on my smartphone that are perhaps not quite as good as I would like, but certainly there are people out there who could just put it on full auto, hold it in front of their face, talk into it, or put it on a gimbal if you can for a couple of hundred quid, which keeps it completely stable. And um, then it comes down to something which I think is very akin to the music, which is, in music terms, have you got a good song? If you've got a good song, you can pick up an acoustic guitar and shout the lyrics and it's going to work the same like that as it is going to with a 10-piece band and a full, you know, uh, PA rig. Or, you know, different strokes, different folks, different kind of like venues, obviously. But the point is that the song remains the same. Oh, God, I'm not going to try and get too many Led Zeppelin uh, <laughs> song titles into this. But the song remains the same no matter how you decide to to produce it. And then... Coming back to that in terms of the video stuff, if your content is good, it shouldn't really matter as long as people can see it and hear it. If it's um, if it's shot with, uh, you know, a Alexa camera or a, an iPhone or if it's recorded by a 16-person crew with, you know, sound and lighting and gaffers and all the rest of it. Um, having said that, I spent a long time at the BBC <laughs> learning my craft, so I'm, I'm very glad that I'm able to make it... Um, as, as high quality as I can. Having said that, you end up cutting corners because you are on your own. So you're trying to monitor the sound. You're trying to make sure the pictures are okay. You're trying to ask the right questions, listen to the answers while you're checking whether it's gone out of focus because the person's rocked back in their chair. And all of these things mean that occasionally compromises happen. But having said that, yes, there is craft, um, but it probably comes down more to the editing side. Do you think that there's lessons to be learnt in the more mainstream or traditional media from the kind of YouTube generation where sometimes they've got overly fixated on making it look expensive? So I'll, I'll use an example. So um, 
not of a specific documentary, but when you watch a BBC documentary, sometimes the gaps between the subjects. So someone, they'll have an interview someone, they'll say something interesting and then you'll get a nice panning shot of some hills and the, the, the narrator will almost say the same point again but very slowly. And it, and I understand why because in a, in, back in the day someone would put it on their TV and they'd watch it live in that half an hour or that hour and you'd have to give them time to soak it in. Whereas nowadays people are used to bang, 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 bang because you can rewind it and watch it again. But there's also a key point which is illustrated by the type of um, the type of platform, and that is that BBC documentaries are made by a broadcaster, and the key is the word broad, right? So this uh, documentary, let's say it's something like Planet Earth or Human Planet or one of these fantastically produced, very very high budget. Um, programs have to appeal to a really, really broad church of people. And as a result, they can't assume that everybody is in the same way going, right, I want it fast paced. But also, they also can't. Um, we, we live in a world of multiple screens. People are sitting there with their phone in one hand, tablet under their arm, watching TV. And you have to, in a television program, say things multiple times. I hate the fact that people feel they have to say things multiple times because um, you shouldn't, if you're watching a, a television programme, you should, in theory, be engaged in it and watching it, but people aren't. So as a result, things get hammered home in this way. It's really frustrating, particularly having worked in uh, news. We used to have this special thing where you had to make sure that you didn't repeat what was in the package. So, for instance, a presenter is about to say, and now here's a package on fishing, and then the package on fishing would start with a... a shot of a fish and a presenter go uh, another reporter going uh, fish are in decline okay say that's the package so what you had to avoid was writing the studio part of that to be so now a package on fishing where fish are in decline cut to the thing fish are in decline that was like anathema 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 i can't say that word that was that anathema was, anathema yeah that, that was anathema that. right you do mm. not do that otherwise people just face palm in the studio because you're just repeating yourself having said that in documentaries you're right they do it all the time and they they also do it on um on i would say sort of i want to say lesser quality news channels but ones that aren't the bbc so, I mean, any time I see a clip on Facebook of something like MSNBC or, God forbid, Fox or something like that, they literally do do that. They'll have an expert on who will say something and then the presenter will, or, or journalist will repeat exactly what they've said and it gets said several times. And sometimes I'm there going, well, this is 15 minutes of broadcasting that could be done in three minutes. If <laughs> there, there is another way of looking at this. Yeah. It's very cheap. Yeah. If you only have to find out one fact and you repeat that fact three times, it costs you a third for all those bits of television that say the same thing over and over again. Uh, it's, it, it isn't always looked at that way. I think what happens is um, they just feel they have to tell people and hammer them over the head with it. They're they treating the audience as stupid, basically. Do you see a time when the BBC or equivalents um, are putting out programmes that are similar to YouTube, where people are submitting things and the best are being picked? And I can see people falling into that trap, but I hope it doesn't happen because I think they have different places in society. And uh, it might be that the traditional broadcasters eventually completely die. Um, or it might be a bit like when radio was worried that TV was going to take its place. 
things find a little slot or a packing packing order, I feel personally like they'll always be the sort of person who doesn't want to have to actively seek out some content and just wants to press a button where something starts happening. And if it isn't what they like, they press, if you like, the equivalent of a random button, which is next channel, right? And you just flick through until you find something that you like. I still think there are a few people out there who would like to do that, but I, they do seem to be dwindling. So I don't know. There was a, a sort of best of YouTube video sort of document, not documentary. Uh, Channel 4 program. Channel 4 program. Rude yeah. Tube, it Rude was Tube, called. Yeah, which basically did a, did a best of YouTube, and I didn't see a huge amount of point of that. Surely that should have been on YouTube. Yeah, it was just an excuse to to try and make something that was down with the kids, I think, for Channel 4. Uh, Channel 4, for those who are listening from outside the UK, is uh, a UK public broadcaster. It's a public service broadcaster, but it's funded by advertising. So it's quite an interesting position in the world because it has to make its own look, if you like, by selling advertising space, but it has a public service remit, which means it has to cover lots of things that the BBC have to do, but so the BBC is funded in a completely different way. If you look back at sort of the, the, the Alan Partridge or Monty Python or, or The Office or things like that, I mean, uh, Ricky Gervais says if The Office was pitched now, it wouldn't get made because it hasn't got enough bits in it that are 30 seconds to two minutes long to go viral. And off the back of that, you then get comment sections on everything you do. This was something that you didn't get when I was growing up, a TV programme would go out and maybe we talk in the playground at school or whatever. But nowadays, everything you do, whether it be you as a YouTuber or us as a tribute band, has a comment section. Now, Jason and I both spend some time moderating our comment sections and it's, uh, it's hard work. What, what do you think about the social media aspect of it all? So going from making... So I used to work in regional BBC News. So, it, you know, not exactly a massive um, broadcasting area. But I used to make feature packages. So, for instance, two or three minutes on a beautiful garden in the, you know, local area. Uh, or a, a, something about a, a band that had, you know, made it big. Um who were a band of kids or something. So, you know, nice stuff, not hard-edged news where, you know, somebody's dying or getting stabbed or stuff. And what used to be the case is you, I would spend a long time crafting these things. So you'd set them up, you would go out and film them, you'd come back and edit them, you might work with a team, you might work with a camera operator and a crew, or you might, you know, come back and work with an editor in an edit suite. And the thing would be finished and crafted and you'd, you know, spent time and, and love on it. And it would go out on air and you'd be lucky if you got a thank you. And now what happened when I started making YouTube was that you got this stuff instantly, love it or hate it. It came back straight away. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Or wow, that was fantastic. What amazing camera work in the same breath as how is that camera work so terrible? And, you know, every color under the sun of different kinds of comments and very, very quick. And part of this is because, uh, as mentioned before, I run a a YouTube channel which is has a large audience base. So straight away, people want to be in there and making these comments and talking about it. And quite often, the comments come before they've actually can't have a chance to watch the video. You know, I put a video live, <laughs> three minutes later, people are going, that was wonderful, and it's 15 minutes long. And I'm thinking, you know, some people watch things on fast forward, I get that, but this is just you wanting to, to, to make your mark in, in the world and, and shout out from the, the rooftops, I'm assuming. So the point is, yeah, you get this instant feedback, which is good and bad. 
like comments on newspaper articles, but if you, they might just have the title of it and people comment on it on just reading the title and they'll say something and then you realise you haven't read the article at all, you know. Particularly if it's a misleading headline that's deliberately... I've, I've seen this in, um, in left-leaning media where mm. they'll put something out that sounds like it's critical of the left to try and get people who are right-wing to come and read the article or, or share it and... And it works, but people just don't read. That's the, right, the, they don't. They yeah. don't check out the yeah. content. The flip side of that is that nobody on YouTube reads the description of the video. So I'll put a video out, and in the video description it will say, I don't know, uh, today we're looking at an, uh, a retro computer because it features in the news, and Jason is talking all about it. And then I'll get five or six comments saying, who's the guy in the video? <laughs> and you think, <laughs> it's in the description. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. To be fair to them on that, you don't know where they've watched it. If they've watched it, it's embedded in something else, and the description's not available. That's. Uh, but I. I <laughs> but if they're able to comment. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're right. <laughs> I, I, okay. We'll, we'll, I I never understand it when we get emails through our website um, saying where can we find your tour dates, and I, as far as I know, every time I look at the website, I mean they found the website and found in the menu the contact mm. button mm. and there's one that says tour dates in the same yeah. and they clearly speak oh. english enough to send an email hey, or, or you publish the dates and they say why aren't you playing here and it's there in the days i remember a couple of years ago we landed at heathrow after spending two months in the states mm. and i got a message on facebook going when are you coming to the states you never <laughs> tour here and i thought I mean, I, I don't it's exasperating. Well, it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. What do you do? I mean, it's like sign up to the mailing list. We'll email you. We'll tell you. I think sometimes that is people who just want to reach out to you, to be honest, and they want to have a conversation with someone, even if it's just a you know a, a response saying, "Oh, we're playing next week." Or I, I, I don't know. I might be wrong. And I know in the comment sections on YouTube, it's often people who just want to either engage debate or perhaps they're trolling because they want an argument, mm. you know, all sorts of things like that. You know, the motivations are not, you know, singular <laughs> to, to, for making these comments. Okay, trolls. You've mentioned trolls. Me and Jason have dealt with a fair yeah, amount of yeah. trolls at the time. What's, what's, well, I'll start with you, Jay. This was, what's um, some of the worst sort of trolling can you think of that? Um, I can't, can't think of any on on the spot. I mean, obviously, I have encountered them, and it's um, it's it's usually people trying to post about another band. Yeah, or... yeah. The, you know, I think you know, there's you, you might get professional jealousy or something. What we do, other other tribute bands will say, oh, well, they, these are better and all that, and they'll perhaps mention them or, or say something, and um, or you you get some information, the comment it's totally incorrect about. Yeah, the show or something. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You you, you can tell that it's a lie. They've just made it up. Perhaps they weren't even there and they just say something, you know. Yeah, I've seen that. What about uh, on Computer File? Do you get a lot of trolls? I think it's hard to say. We get a lot of spam. (laughs) (laughs) We get a lot of people trying to sell hacking services. We get a lot of people trying to um, offer quick, rich Bitcoin schemes that um, are probably just virus uh, farms. Um, We do get the odd person who takes a uh, dislike to what we slash I do and um, 
to be honest, I think a lot of it is people expecting my colleague to be doing the videos and not me because it's... Even though it's been five years or so that you've been Even doing. though I've been making... I've, he's made a few of them, but he's I've probably made 98% of them and there are over 500 videos over the last five and a half years. And most of them say my name at the end and all of them have my name in the description and still, to this day, we get, Brady, Brady, what are you doing this for? Brady, Brady, can you cover this? Bra- huh. I, I liked it when Brady asked this question. Okay, right, so I'm going to ask the fellow Adelaidean here how Adelaidean I sound. <laughs> well, no, you're definitely not from Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, you know, um, people making these comments are probably yeah. not native English speakers, so the, yeah, nu- the yeah. nuances of accent, I, I understand that. But it is just, uh, I, I just, it makes me smile. I don't get, I'm not cross about it. It doesn't make me upset. I just think it's funny that to, even now we get this. Were you a fan of Brady's channels before you started working on Computerfold? Did you sort of watch them avidly or, or just intermittently? Or? I was a fan. I did watch them. And when I left the BBC, I didn't go instantly into making YouTube videos. I went to pitch uh, TV show ideas. This is why I was going to come in when you were talking about um, the type of TV shows that are out there at the minute. Because I've met quite a few commissioners. And what I was going to say on that, so this is slightly out of, out of turn, but just, right. just, just calling back to that. It's a circular process. They are going, going for these things that have these 20-minute viral bits in. But I wouldn't be surprised that in a year's time they're calling for things that don't fit that mould whatsoever because they want to dis, you know, disentangle themselves from that online thing. So that, that's very circular. But sort of bringing that back to what I was just saying, the, um, the I was looking for stuff for a local TV channel, Knots TV, and I approached Brady to say, perhaps you've got this huge library of stuff about science. You've got all this chemistry stuff you've shot. You've got all this physics stuff you've shot. Would you be interested in doing a compilation where we do a science show for local TV show? Um, and and we, were, we were talking about that. And uh, I don't think I ever actually pitched it, but it was an idea I'd had thinking this guy's making great content. Perhaps it would translate onto a TV show. So, yes, I was a fan. Yes, I used to watch it. Um, uh, probably not every one because I, I don't know how he churns them out so quickly. He, he makes so much content. It's untrue. I don't mean this as any insult to uh, Brady because I absolutely love his videos. But they're a very different style to your videos. He doesn't have as much um, worry about putting something where the camera's a little bit all over the place or, you know, he's someone's saying something while he's picking up the camera and you see a bit of the floor and the desk stuff. And I don't mind that personally. I like that. But you don't have so much of that in your... Yeah, that's probably just back to what we said about the song and the acoustic guitar versus the production of, you know, a 10-piece band. The content is king, right? So what those people are saying and whether there is a bit of a gaffe or a bit of a mistake is is the point here and then if you go back to the background so my background I was a previously I was uh, in software but my eight years at the BBC were spent as a director so everything I was caring about visually and audio wise Brady's background originally he was a journalist so he was a print journalist in Adelaide working as a science correspondent on the local paper, which I don't know what it's called, but I'm sure Jason may remember it. Um, and uh, it the advertiser, that was probably, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so, but he, you know, he was a print journalist and, um, and was taught to use a camera. Whereas I was probably somebody who was interest, interested in visuals and things when I was taught a bit of journalism. Sadly, I was probably taught less journalism than he was taught camera work. So as a result, then sometimes I'm free, 
not free, that's the wrong word. Sometimes I want to let the person in front of me talk, whereas Brady is a bit more direct. So he would sort of interject and say, come on, let's get to the good stuff. Whereas I would probably go sit there and wait and wait and wait and fix it in the edit. You both produce different style videos, both of which I think are right for the subject matter because computing doesn't always produce the most exciting um, personalities in the world. I, I, I don't mean that as an insult, but it uh, seems like the mathematicians and physicists seem a little bit more crazy and chatty and some, some of the computer guys, not all of them, but some of the computer guys can be a little bit more, they'll just talk and then I'll plug well, this into this. Also, the, the, there is a slight difference in that all those other channels are very pure sciences. And I don't mean to de- denigrate computer science in that respect, but it's a harder remit, right? So when it gets to the top of science, then things like physics and chemistry, the lines get blurred, right? You know, what's happening with atoms, what's happening with molecules, you know, the physicists and the chemists might have a fight about who's... And physicists will win. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to computer science, I mean, to be fair, when we started the channel, we said we'd do anything related to computing and computers. So that means I'm free to make something about, I don't know, the Oculus Rift VR system or or uh, somebody's homemade Pac-Man cabinet versus uh, the P versus NP problem and all this sort of very, very complicated computer science stuff that we try and put in easy to understand terms. But it's different to going, right, here's, the, here's Newton's laws or whatever. I, I think it's different, personally. Okay. Other social media, how does Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. cetera, um, sort of work with your world? Oh, um, how does... Well, I use Twitter to publicise the videos. I use Facebook to publicise the videos. I don't do much else with them. Uh, I might post interesting things on Twitter once in a while, and that can help drive people towards our channel. But since Twitter started cultivating their... Um, feed i don't think it's as useful as it used to be but that's just my personal opinion i think the most useful thing is just posting stuff on youtube regularly and making it good content and if it is then you know that drives subscribers up i like to think i've noticed with our youtube that people clearly watch things like comfortably numb and another brick in the wall and the most i mean some some of those can get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views um Yet it's not a particularly fertile place for anything interesting to happen on our YouTube channel. All of that tends to happen on Facebook for us a lot more than Instagram and Twitter. Um, but with that, you end up in these these competitions. Um, someone will go, oh, this band have got more Facebook likes than you, or this band have got... are reaching mm. more people. So and do you, you don't really experience any of that. I sometimes get comments where people say um, you you could be doing so much better or I don't like the direction you're going. Or, But to be honest, most of the comments we get on Facebook are usually requests for videos about something specific. Hey, when are you going to do a video on the latest malware exploit? Hey, when are you going to do a video on Dijkstra's algorithm or whatever it is people are tempted to contact to contact us to to ask for things to be covered in videos whereas i suppose you guys would probably get requests for songs or requests for for sort of things in the set it's more like when you're going to play here when you're going to play there i think yeah but, it, uh, it, it is that kind of um 
it is that kind of thing. And then but, people just commenting on the photo of the night mm, saying, oh, I really mm. enjoyed that show or but, yeah. they didn't for yeah, whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, <laughs> but there is, there is a big difference there in that you guys are on the road and going out to people or going close to people and they want to know when that's happening next. If they're a fan, they want to see when they can come to the next show. Whereas I can make a video unless I start doing live computer files, which I've considered, unless I do that, then it's more, oh, can you do this in your next video, please? And, oh, I like that video, or I didn't like this video. Or a lot of the time, I might speak to somebody um, who's a professor in... So, for instance, we, we've done a series of Bitcoin videos with Professor Ross Anderson, who is a Cambridge University professor, and his specialist area is uh, crypto and um, financial transactions etc and you get lots of comments saying why do you keep interviewing this guy he doesn't know what he's talking about and you've got to stop and think okay he's a cambridge university professor i think he might know what he's talking about it might not align with your view of what it is you want him to talk about but this is his opinion and that's what he's talking about so we get people saying, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, this lady doesn't know what she's talking about. And actually, a lot of the time, you have to sort of take that with a pinch of salt because this could be somebody who's 12 years old sitting in a bedroom somewhere. Yeah. And it's, equally, it's, just, it's just their chance to say, as you said earlier, it's just their chance to say something. Maybe they just want to just say something because it's there. You can have an opinion and you can publish it in a comment section, isn't it? And that's a... Yeah, just, I know best, you yeah, know, yeah. or I spoke to a marketing um, professional a few years ago and, and it was part of something I did for the racket. And she said, well, all we, all we all want to do is show off online. And mm. so we're just, you know, this was my space we were talking about at the time. <laughs> you know, it's all about showing off online. Yeah. And, hey, look at my look, animated GIFs. <laughs> Jason, did Aussie Floyd ever have a MySpace page? We did for a while. Yeah, we did for a while. Um, but of course, MySpace sort of disappeared and, um, it's probably uh, still there. It's probably it's still, it's there, probably you know. still there. You know, I don't wonder if anyone looks at it. <laughs> wow, wow, that that takes back. Is there um, cheating in in YouTube? So I'll, I'll give you a, a a parallel in our world. There are other tribute bands um, that will remain nameless that that have presented themselves as a lot bigger than they are by having over a million likes for example on their facebook page and then what happens is is periodically facebook delete accounts that are fake accounts and suddenly you see their million likes crumble to a few hundred thousand likes Sad. yeah yeah liars <laughs> and this is they're, they're sort of they're trying to spread fake news that they're uh, yeah. they're a lot bigger than they are is there a, an equivalent of that on youtube is it are there people buying likes to enter the YouTube market to, to artificially inflate their position? I have to confess at this moment to not knowing the answer to that. Having said that, we did a, a, well, we did at least two videos with people at YouTube and they closely guard their algorithms, which when I say their algorithms, so there are people think of the algorithm as being the thing that recommends videos for people, but also there are things happening behind the scenes which authenticate whether whether views are, ro are real or not. Um, but equally, there's no there's nothing to say there aren't people out there with bots making you know videos have views and likes and what have you. I don't know to be honest. I don't know. We. Um, we're, we're very pleased with getting the amount of uh, subscribers we've got and we're very pleased with where the channel's gone. And I think that 
they're all genuine. I, we certainly have never bought any of them. Um, no. I don't know if people do do that. I don't know. There are services out there that sell likes for Facebook pages, Twitter feeds, YouTube channels, subscribers on YouTube channels. And I, I just don't see the point in doing that. To me, that the moment you throw in a few thousand fake likes or, or fake subscribers, then it skews your statistics and you don't have a genuine idea of what you're achieving or not achieving. I think there, I think there is a naive um, approach to this where they don't realise all the things you've just said. And there are people out there who think, oh gosh, yeah, you know, it'll do me the world of good if I've got 5,000 likes on Facebook. So I'll go out and work out how to do that. And oh, look, these guys are offering 5,000 likes for 20 quid. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll buy those. And I don't think they realise what you've just said, but I remember watching a video and I think it was by Veritasium about how those fake accounts can then taint your actual good accounts and cause the people that you're trying to reach to actually see less of what you do, which is counterintuitive. So you're better off spending the time building up a a, a proper fan base uh, as Ozzy Floyd definitely have, mm. and um, and knowing that the people have liked it because they want to see what you're doing, not mm. because they thought they were you were bigger than you were, and they've never watched you live and all the rest of it. I mean, I think I think our our amount of likes is quite realistic if you look at our demographic and the number of people we play to a year. If we play to say 180 thousand people a year or something, and we've got 115 thousand likes on facebook if you consider the amount of people that would have facebook accounts in our crowds i think that's a that's a decent amount and a realistic amount you know and when you start seeing other bands that are doing 70s rock band tributes trying to say that they've got a million views yet they're playing venues half the size yeah i've got fifty thousand likes from people in mexico and they've never been to mexico that was was the thing on on one on one of them you know the the demographic for this 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 band that were playing pink floyd was uh, 18 to 25 year olds in mexico swiss (laughs) mexico city and you're thinking that's uh (laughs) doesn't make any sense whatsoever i think facebook have now removed the feature to be able to look at other demographics of other pages but yeah it was i was just wondering whether there was an a similarity in YouTube. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, I'm afraid. I, th- I think you've probably got to the point where because you've got a million genuine subscribers, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, um, I think also there's a uniqueness to what we do. I'm oh, sorry, that's not, that sounds really, really big-headed. What we do is is quite specific and quite niche and we seem to have got a nice audience who like to watch what we do. I think... There are other channels that do things that are similar. There are various kind of computer science and and techie channels out there. And what I've found is people tend to watch more than one. Whereas the difference between that and perhaps bands on the road, Mm. if you've got three bands coming to your city and all of them, you know, cost a certain amount for a ticket, you're going to choose the one you want to see the most. You're not going to go and see all of them where a YouTube video Mm. to be fair is free so chances are that if you're into that stuff you just lap up as much as as you can get i do do think the way you do it is unique there seems to be a much more togetherness of people in the youtube community where they'll cross over they'll start a video and then at the end of the video go and if you go over to this other person's channel and they if someone who's got a million subscribers likes a smaller channel and is a fan of it they'll give them a leg up which you don't see so much in the musical world. Have, have you ever experienced anything like that with Ozzy Floyd? I mean, has anyone come along who's a 
bigger tribute band and tried to give Ozzy Floyd a leg up in its early days? No, no, no it's, not it's, really. Although we, we've been quite big for some time now. But, yeah, I'm, but um, no, don't don't recall anything like that really. Yeah, it's, it's, there seems to be less of a community and wanting mm. to see other people do well in music, whereas in YouTube. Which is which is strange, really, because you probably are fans of the other music, and I'm, I'm not singling you out. But you know, if you like that other music, but it is, does that come down to kind of business decisions rather than anything? I wonder. Um, I genuinely don't know. I, I, having when I worked in a studio, I just saw that a lot of musicians were very jealous people. I yeah, mean, particularly yeah. in the original music world. I wouldn't say so much in the mm. tribute band world, but. Uh, People would kind of go, oh, oh, well done. Oh, you've got on the radio. Oh, you were on XFM. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's great. And in the back of their mind, they go, you asshole. Can't <laughs> wish that was me. You know, so it's, they don't want people to do well because somehow they feel less of a person for it. And that's, the, I'm not saying everyone, but that is the, there, the, there, a lot of people. Yeah, there is there, there is that going on in the music industry. Equally, I've seen communities pull together in the music industry. So in Derby, there's a little label called Reckless Yes, and they put on a night... Uh, like a band's night for, you know, relatively small bands, but that have perhaps signed small kind of uh, limited release vinyl deals and things like this. And they do it on a kind of pay what you can basis. Mm. And then the bands split the money at the end of the night. And they, they get great people coming along to these gigs. And of course, this is on a different scale to what you guys do. But I equally, I think it's really, really nice to see that, you know, three, four, five bands will all kind of go together and go, yeah, let's do this together. And the, the promoters obviously help out and, and do stuff. But I don't think the promoters take much of a cut. I think it comes down to kind of a bar tab for the people who, who own the, the venue. Um, and then there's a bucket. And literally, they look in the bucket at the end of the night, and there will be notes in there, but there will be coins in there, and you know, it's a, it's a, there are some really great communities, but I think mm. in different kind of le mm. levels. I think um, you see that with the huge band, like someone like the Foo, uh, bands like the Foo Fighters, will go out of their way to try and help other bands and get people on their bill. But it's it's the smaller underground bands that, that I've seen the majority were not like that but it's great that that happens yeah i think it's just it's perhaps a regional thing you know some mm. town if there's a town where they you know maybe they feel <laughs> done to or something i don't know nobody ever comes here so let's do it ourselves yeah, i don't know yeah. i don't know let's uh as to sort of wrap this up let's ask um last couple of questions here so the best and the worst videos or or people you've worked with oh gosh does that is this youtube only or is this generally well i'm thinking i mean it could, it could be in anything. I, I was thinking uh, one of the highlights for you must have been going to Ethiopia and doing the video with Phil Moriarty. Um, but I don't know whether that's your most memorable. To, to be honest, the problem is dredging through how many I've... And this is not to sound big-headed, but I put out two videos a week and have done for five and a half years. So as I said, there are more than 500 videos, purely in computer file. And on the side of that, I do various other bits of filming and before that I did eight years at the BBC so I've done everything from uh, a cool uh, five days of cycling around the East Midlands just literally cycling everywhere because it was National Bike Week uh, and that was a great week of 
cycling around, not doing very much work, through to uh, a series I did with Brady's wife called Kylie's Car Share, where we went and met people with sports cars and people with like vintage Jags. And every day we got a lift into work from these people. And I just turned this into video. So really cool stuff at the BBC through to, yeah, Ethiopia was a highlight, you know, going out to Ethiopia and spending 10 days or nine days or whatever it was with Ethiopian teachers who just want to find better ways of helping teach children uh, was fantastic. And, I, you know, one of those, yeah, could never, could never replicate that sort of feelings. We were in a school in the middle of, well, not in the middle of nowhere, in a, in a town called Adama. And um, what had happened was students and professors from the university were going over to help uh, teachers do a workshop with teachers so the teachers could do more experimentation so practical physics and uh, people in Ethiopia had the the books they had the knowledge but what they needed was a bit more kind of hands-on so these uh, guys devised experiments with water bottles like making thermometers out of water bottles and uh, showing waves with slinky springs and things that were relatively inexpensive and it was just just fabulous and for me as a, as a life experience that was up there um equally i've done stuff where you've gone and met people who were you'd never thought you'd meet so something i did which wasn't for computer file i met chris curry now chris curry was a founder of acorn computers who made the iconic bbc micro and in the states that might mean very little to people but certainly in the uk and australia i know the bbc micro was a it was a very influential 8-bit computer in the 80s and i met chris curry because i was recording an interview that he was doing with someone else um but, you know, I don't know. It's You meet people all the time and every day is a highlight. As so what's the, the highest rated video on Computer Do you know the one that's had the most views over time? Yep, Time Zones with Tom Scott. Ah. So Tom's, Tom's great to work with. He is a really uh, energetic character and he's gone on leaps and bounds since he worked with us on Computer File. And I, I suspect we'll work with him again once in a while, but he... he um, you know, he's, he's probably far too busy making his own videos now to, to worry about making videos for other people. But uh, his video on time zones is, if you like, a perennial because it people start watching it every time the time uh, changes. Right. Like so it's clock. kind of luck of the subject as well. The luck of the subject. Every time the clocks change, people watch this video. What about the, the kind of the lowest rated and... and Biggest mistake. Well, I made I made a mistake very early on in Computerfile where I hadn't the format wasn't that established, and I knew that my computer had been performing really badly. So what I decided to do was upgrade the RAM in the computer, and I thought, I know, I'll film this. So I uh, locked off a camera, opened up the computer, recorded, opened up the computer, upgraded the RAM, put it back together again, and uh, made a, something like a one and a half minute sped up video with some music and uh, put it out on computer file. Uh, and it was roundly absolutely hated by everyone who watched it because it wasn't what they were expecting. Is it still there? Uh, I delisted it. I seem to remember it's probably still there, but as an unlisted video and it was a very quick kind of lesson in in giving, not giving the audience what they want, but realising what people expect from you as well as what you want to do for them. So people had ex come to learn a certain style of video from Brady's previous videos. I had done quite a few of these already. And all I'd done was think, oh, this is computing. People might be like, might like this. And uh, yeah, it went down like a lead balloon.
it might have been uh, might have worked if it was an Easter egg kind of link, secret link from another one. Was a yeah. So it did probably lead into me doing more of that sort of thing. So there are different ways that you can put videos onto YouTube, and one of the ways is as an unlisted video, which means that it's there for anyone who has the link to watch, but you don't click a button and a million people get told about it, which is what happens now when I click a button. Uh, to put a video live, a million and 40,000 people or something ridiculous around the globe get told, hey, there's a new computer file uh, for them to go and comment on and watch. Well, just before we started this, you put one live and... I did, in fact. I was keeping... Was uh, yeah, so this has been recording an hour. When we edit it, when I sit yeah. down, it'll probably be a bit less. But, so this, uh, one went li- this one went live an hour ago and has had uh, 3,000 views. So... It's, you know, it's doing okay. It's a retro video. It's about um, about a vintage computer. So they don't always do as well as something that's perhaps about the latest malware or hack on on some system. But I think they're important to do because I think computing history is important to cover at the same time as cutting edge history. Uh, and one thing I find actually is quite interesting is you if you go and cover a project that's about something absolutely brand new, which is what everybody seems to always want to hear, um, quite often it doesn't get as good views as something that's just about something that's the rudiments of computing. So, uh, you, you know, you never know how a video is going to perform until you click that button.